together turn our hearts and our lives as Justin has led us in this great time of, of worship today is by having a section of reading that we'll bring from scripture. So just as we allow our pathfinders and explorers to go to their class now, they're going to be having their time together. They're also working into this time of their classes some preparations for our birthday breakfast for Jesus on December the 12th. Remember to keep that date on your calendar, friends, for a very special and unique morning that we love to celebrate here. A little earlier in the season this year, so remember, it'll be December the 12th, uh, a morning family-style birthday breakfast for Jesus, a way to just celebrate the birth of our Lord and Savior Jesus right in the middle of the Advent season this year. And uh, we'll be doing that together on December the 12th. That's 9.45 a.m. on that Sunday morning. Plan to be here early that day. And another date to have on your calendar is I also ask you to find the Bibles that are available in the pews. I'm going to give you a reading here in a moment in 12, page 1243. If you'd find that page in those Bibles, please also add to your calendar, though, in December that um, we have our candlelight Christmas adoration time to the Lord, our time just coming of quiet, reflective time that we love to share every year, and it's become, it first started out a necessity, then it became kind of a tradition for us that we have this candlelight worship service every Christmas season on the night prior to Christmas Eve. So ours is the 23rd of December, not the 24th. It's, it is our candlelight Christmas worship evening, and it's on Thursday night, December the 23rd. So please have that on your calendar as well. Uh, we'll have a time set specifically later for that date on your calendar. Well, today I'd like to ask you, we're going to be talking about the reality the Holy Spirit creates in our lives as we grow in Christ that I call loyalty to Jesus. Very simple. Loyalty to Jesus is the point upon which we are both tested in our lives as we grow as followers of Jesus, it is a point of testing that occurs repeatedly in our lives. Will you be loyal to Jesus? Very simple question. And what might be interfering in your life with your loyalty to Jesus? That's a, that's a key question that um, needs to be a part of our daily walk with God, our quiet time, our our response to the Lord, even in our worship time together as a congregation? Am I loyal to Jesus, and is there something that might be threatening to interfere with my loyalty to the Lord Jesus? So we're going to be talking today, though, about how that truth is a window into one of the things that Jesus taught the disciples about in John 15. We're going to read that in our Bibles here together today, and it is what to do when your faith is under fire. So our focus today is on faith under fire as the, the way that as we see from the experience of the early church in the book of Acts, that faith under fire became, in a way, the um, crucible in which God created the Holy Spirit 
sharpened and formed loyalty to Jesus, a shining, resilient, powerful, and continuously growing loyalty to Jesus Christ. So what we'll see now, first, on the screen I'd like you to take is one verse, and then we're going to read from John 16, and that's in these Bibles on page 1243. And first of all, from October 9th until this today and through Thanksgiving, I've shared with you that I believe it's timely for us as a congregation to think about how this crystallizing truth of Acts 2.42 can apply to our life as a congregation. And so that verse tells us in Acts 22.42 that they continued steadfastly. And I'd like to ask you to say the word aloud with me today, continue. Could you say that with me? Continue. Say it one more time. Continue. And the, the, the word in that text speaks of a persevering power that is not merely human, but is infused with the power of the Holy Spirit. So they continued steadfastly in these four arenas of their experience. And we'll just read them aloud together here from the screen. They continued steadfastly in, say them with me, apostles' doctrine, breaking bread, fellowship, prayer. Now, as simple as that four-part outline sounds, it, it contains a wealth of experience with God that we'll see in John 16 would only be possible by the Holy Spirit's direct involvement in their lives. And i got to say, as I move these balloons, that there's something about seeing gold balloons up here today that signaled to my mind something I've said to Becky jokingly since my birthday on Friday. I didn't plan to get this old this fast. <laughs> so so I, I, when I saw gold balloons, I thought, maybe somebody's trying to tell me something. Older than I thought, but... But I am, I am grateful. I am so grateful. Thank you for sharing in the journey that, uh, that we've been blessed with such beautiful weather. I couldn't have been more blessed on a birthday weekend with, uh, than with weather like this to actually be out on the bike and, and, and be out running these roads of Carroll County. And as I think about this four-part outline of, of Acts 2.42, I'm just reminded that w within this is a wealth of truth that is only possible because the Holy Spirit, uh, the Holy Spirit's working in our lives. So I'm going to ask you to stand again like we did last Sunday. We're going to read 16 verses of John 16. Would you stand with me? We'll read on page 1243 is where it starts at the bottom right there. And we'll read the first 16 verses of John 16. And I want us to look at this in the light or through the lens of how Jesus equipped the disciples for shock, for brutal opposition for those times in their lives when their faith would be under fire. John 16, verse 1. These things I have spoken to you that you should not be made to stumble. Can we pause and think about this? At the very first verse, Jesus is saying, I don't want you to be vulnerable to losing your, losing your step. I don't want you to stumble. I don't want you to fall. I don't want you to suddenly fall vulnerable to being surprised by opposition. 
If there is one thing that's crystal clear from this chapter is Jesus was never surprised by opposition, even vicious hatred. Please listen to this. You and I are often shocked, stunned, surprised when somebody doesn't like us. (laughs) We're often really surprised when some attack or opposition is especially harsh. There's something inside of our brain that says it shouldn't be this way. And obviously, of course, I know we know why we feel that way. But note in this chapter, look, these 16 verses as we read, Jesus is equipping the disciples to never be shocked by facing opposition. Okay, let's read verse 2, John 16, 2. They will put you out of the synagogues. Yes, the time is coming that whoever kills you will think that he offers God service. And these things they will do to you because they have not known the Father nor me. But these things I have told you, that when the time comes, you may remember that I told you of them. And these things I did not say to you at the beginning, because I was with you. But now I go away to him who sent me, and none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your hearts. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin because they do not believe in me. Of righteousness because I go to my father and you see me no more. Of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot hear them now. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore I said that he will take of mine and declare it to you. A little while, and you will not see me. And again, a little while, and you will see me, because I go to the Father. Now, let's pray. Oh, Lord, together today, I ask you to fill our hearts and our lives with a a fresh, passionate, energetic response to the words of the Lord Jesus. Allow in our lives, quicken in our hearts, a response of bold anticipation for the joy of the experience of growing in loyalty to Jesus. Sharpen in us today as individuals and as a church body what it means in a fresh way to say, Lord Jesus, I give you my heart 100% and ask you to shape the loyalty of my spirit around your purpose and priorities for my life. Put within me, Lord, a quick, joyous, bold response to troubling times that causes me to dig deeper into the Word of God to find out how the Holy Spirit is guiding me in 
discovering these truths, make it real, make it vivid. I pray for refreshing, encouragement, strength, and perspective to anyone here and anyone listening either now or later to this message to know the immediate impact of being given the promise of the Holy Spirit. Thank you for the Holy Spirit guiding us, directing us, navigating our path in tough times. And we also pray for those who face times and opposition that is radically and extraordinarily more difficult than ours. We broaden today our focus to pray around the globe that your grace and healing virtue and energizing power and guidance and strength would come to those who suffer immeasurably and unspeakably under harsh persecution. Open our eyes to see, even though we're not cognizant from day to day of so much of what is really happening, give us grace, Lord, in prayer to cross barriers we cannot cross any other way. And we thank you today for the calling that can be a regular part of our lives of praying for the persecuted believers all across the globe today. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you turn around and just tell somebody right now, you're looking fantastic. Would you just do that? You're looking fantastic. Thank you. This is, um, this is today uh, a time I'd like to ask you to think about. One of the things that doesn't pop to our minds naturally, we don't come to this easily, and when we do come to this, <laughs> we, we find ourselves often experiencing the very emotion that Jesus was addressing in that 16th chapter of John, and that is shock or surprise or stunned. It, it, it always catches us by surprise when our faith is under fire. Now, for many of us, the worst of that experience is often just maybe a, an unpleasant disagreement or criticism or being talked about behind our back or being betrayed. And we might say, well, naturally, a person might say, well, Pastor, you're not minimizing the experience I had when I was betrayed or treated badly. No, I'm not. Of course, I'm not. I've experienced it many times. But what I am really intrigued by today as I bring to you a series of passages that deal with persecution, I, I'm intrigued by two things. I'd like to ask you to keep these with us kind of as two tracks as we, as we share together today. And that is the harsh, vicious, all, often unspeakable and unimaginable suffering of fellow brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ in many parts of the world is a fact ongoing at this very moment of which most of us are 99.9% .9 of the time unaware of. And yet that fact, the brutal, often vicious, often unimaginable suffering of brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ contemporary to us, as well as those who've suffered in centuries past, that is a fact that the New Testament addresses again and again and again and again. It is, a, it is a truth within the total New Testament 
that is not just one of many topics, but is a major theme in many parts of the New Testament. Even as we get to the book of Revelation, we see it becomes a part of the the overall picture and theme of how the justice and righteousness of Almighty God intervenes in a sin-cursed planet to bring deliverance and redemption in such a way that in eternity it becomes seen those who suffered greatly in loyalty to the Lord Jesus are called overcomers in this life. And, And so this truth of the persecution of our fellow brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ is an ongoing real dynamic that I'm reminded as I track with you through these verses today, I'm reminded should be a regular part of our prayers, even if we don't know all the facts. The other thing that I want to track with you today is because of that fact, the persecution that Jesus warned the disciples about, the persecution that is an ongoing reality, the persecution of which we can't even begin to fathom or understand, is also a reminder in the daily life of every Christian to ask ourselves the question, what might be interfering with my loyalty to Jesus? And given that my suffering, my difficulties, my adversities, my troubles, my questions, my perplexities are on an order of magnitude minuscule compared to a brother or sister in Jesus Christ today suffering in North Korea or in China or in Saudi Arabia or in Nigeria or in Somalia suffering for their love and loyalty for Jesus. And what can I draw from that? Now, let me caution you about a mistake I think we make. Sometimes I think we make the mistake that we don't want to think about these things because, for one thing, it's just too horrific to think about. But the other reason is that we 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 feel that in some way maybe this will shame us or this will be something that uh, brings a, a load of guilt that's too heavy to bear. So we just avoid it. Now, I, I want to suggest to you today that's a mistake. Today is the international day of of prayer for persecuted believers around the world. And as I thought about this, I realized one of the takeaways we should get from this day is what could we do in our daily lives to actually begin praying for those who are persecuted? And just as I as I plunged into that in Scripture, I was reminded and confronted over and over again of the of the impact that should have on my loyalty to Jesus Christ. I want to just begin by reading to you a brief section from the memoir of Benjamin Weir, who was a, uh, a seminary professor in, in Lebanon when he was captured by terrorists in 1981 and was tortured and subjected to all kinds of, of maltreatment. But in his early phase of the experience of being captured for the Lord, he said, I pondered the dilemma in private that I'd had about whether I should go back to Lebanon given the trouble that was there at this particular time. And 
I happened upon a saying of Jesus Christ in the New English Bible translation that made the edge of this even sharper. Benjamin said, in Luke 9, 24, I read and reread the words I, I could not avoid. Whoever cares for his own safety is lost. But if a man will let himself be lost for my sake, that man is safe. Benjamin said, I had no desire to be a martyr. Yet I knew physical security could not be the most important criterion for our decision, his and his in the face of uncertainty and threat, the situation to which Jesus spoke, the paramount consideration was faithfulness to Jesus and his cause. He offered no physical protection to his disciples then or now, but by facing the risk of serving others, they were to experience and live out the Father's self-giving love in the same way that Jesus was doing. To do so was profoundly worthwhile, and resulted in a deeper kind of security than mere physical safety. And he writes these words reflecting back on the earliest phase of his imprisonment that went on and on and on and on for over three and a half years. And he writes, I now sat as a prisoner of unknown forces. The golden opportunity to seek a life of spiritual growth was before me. Yet I felt like a novice. It was true that I had made my commitment to Jesus Christ and accepted the new life he gave me years ago. From that time on, I had found meaning, joy, and direction in periods of daily Bible reading and prayer, sometimes longer, sometimes shorter, and sometimes not at all. But for me, the day was best when I began it with a sense of spiritual direction, commitment, and praise. Launching the day in this way gave me a vantage point at the beginning and a series of way stations throughout the day. However, now the situation was different. There were no time constraints, neither did I have the usual resources, my Bible, my devotional booklet, my pad of paper, and pencil, hymn book, or other printed resources. This time, Benjamin says, I was really on my own. I began with what I had memorized. A passage out of the past popped into my mind. I couldn't remember where it occurred. Later, I found it in Proverbs 3.5, and he writes it out. And then he says, I began at that point to realize that even in my captivity, that the immediate presence of Jesus was going to be the most prized possession that I would emerge out of this captivity with. Just after this point in his story, he talks about how the, the terrorist guards would come and force him to keep his face covered completely so that he couldn't see anything in the area that they had him. And whenever just to scratch his nose or to, or to wipe his eyes of a tear or, or, or to a fluid, he was having trouble with one of his eyes, uh, to move the mask, as soon as the guard saw him, he threatened him with his life and told him, we'll kill you if you take that mask off. After one uncomfortable time of trying to rearrange the mask, total face mask, the guard came back to his room, tapped on the table with the butt of a gun, emptied the bullets out on the table, and he said, do you understand that I will kill you if you keep moving that mask? This was the early phase. And he actually surmised he was very responsive and, and knew some Arabic and, and interacted a lot with his captors. And in the story, as the story goes on, he began to win the, uh, the, the empathy of, of one of these captors. And there's a very intriguing development in that story. But at the beginning phase, it was stark terror and fear. 
And yet, just as Jesus said, just as what we just read in John 16, the time will come when those who seek to kill you will consider it service to God. These terrorists were motivated by a very, an evil, twisted ideology in which the concept of capturing another human being and subjecting them to humiliation and torture in their brain, in that twisted way that obsessive ideologies have of infiltrating people's minds, they had twisted that into a virtue. And and as we'll see from another example today, they're not the only ones that are subject to doing that, but in the case of Benjamin Weir, his story, his story showed that in that time, 1983, 84, 85, that this that this servant of Jesus Christ was walking in exactly what that New Testament early church band of disciples experienced themselves, and it was exactly what we just read in the Gospel of John, what Jesus was preparing them for. It is striking that on the very night, the very night that the most sinless, that the sinless son of God, that the greatest human being who ever lived, Jesus of Nazareth, was preparing disciples for what he would face in brutal execution the next day, and in the very same breath was giving them the assurance that in the future, when they faced fierce opposition, the Holy Spirit would be their guide. And therein 1983, 1984, Benjamin Weir is writing later about what he experienced, that very promise that is what the Acts chapter 2 band of believers experienced when they were faced with vicious and determined opposition, the disciples in the second chapter of Acts did what we, I asked you to say earlier, so let's say that word again, they what? They continued, say the word again with me continued, say it, shout it out, continued, they continued in the spiritual formation of this life in the spirit. So I want to ask you to think first with me today as we, again, we do two things today. We're thinking about the people that should be kept in our prayers. Before you go today, I want to give you seven parts of the globe that are a quick flashpoint point where we should be praying for believers who love Christ. And then we're also, side by side with that, we're thinking about how do these facts, how do these very uncomfortable facts, how do these facts that I'd rather not think about, how do they directly affect my personal loyalty to Jesus Christ? And what I've, and I'm asking you to track with me this way. For only one reason, because as I got into the Word of God afresh on this topic, I saw this is exactly what the Bible teaches us about persecution. It teaches us, number one, we will all be persecuted in one way or another. Don't kid yourself and think you will escape persecution, but don't fear what is of minor significance compared to the magnitude of the joy of letting Jesus Christ be Lord and Master and Supreme ruler of your life. 
That is, the Bible shows us the troubles of this life over against the magnitude of the privilege of walking with Christ, our Redeemer, is such that it should cause us to stand up and praise God with all of our hearts and souls in our lives. In fact, this one example I've chosen, Benjamin Weir, in his captivity in 1983, he said the very first thing that he thought of in that second day of captivity was I've got to find a way to sing. And for him, as a, as a, a conventional um, growing up in, in, a, in churches where hymns were prominent, he, he said he, the, the thing that came to his mind was the great hymn, Praise My Soul, the King of Heaven. And he just began to let that hymn fill that prison cell. And it was that, the beginning, that was the dawning of a long journey of experiencing the presence of God. As he described it, it was like I was back with our believers, our fellow believers in Kuwait at a, an international church that he was a part of where we all shared in the Lord's Supper and sensed the mighty presence of Jesus in that room. But he felt it in that prison cell exactly the same. Now listen, we're a part of that. And here's the takeaway from Scripture. First of all, if we think about the plight of the persecuted, we realize this truth is not just something in the midst of history. In the midst of history, this is not just something that happened long time ago and far away. In fact, the picture I've chosen here is of some of our fellow believers in the Lord Jesus Christ who literally were brutally murdered for their loyalty to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ just about seven years ago in the vicious overtaking of territory in that horrible ISIS um, expansion of, of power that the ISIS terrorists accomplished before they were finally obliterated. This is one very contemporary example of brothers and sisters just like you and me. A friend that we could know just like one of the brothers and sisters in Christ that we work with or that we worship here with. And they gave their lives for the Lord Jesus. Here's something that we should never forget. In giving of their lives, they walked in the pattern and the path of what we read in John chapter 16, that there will come a time when these adversities will hit very hard, but the Holy Spirit will guide you to be a people who are resilient in the face of the worst kinds of threats. That is, your life purpose far, far surpasses the temporary sufferings of this life, no matter what direction they may come at you from. And if we had any doubt about it, we could take the words that I've added to that screen there from Matthew 10, 22, where Jesus said, not one of those we would normally go looking for in our little promise box. I need a promise for the day. But here is a promise of Jesus. Do you believe that when Jesus promises something, it's true? How many of you could say amen? And here's what he promised. You will be hated. Let's personalize that today. Could you say with me, I will be hated. Now, some of you can say, okay, I've, I've already had a little taste of that. How many of you have had a little taste of that? You've been hated by somebody. I've been hated uh, very openly and very directly by uh, by certain people even cl who claim to be uh, Christians. So, so we can all say, hey, we've been there, right, in a, in, a, in a tiny measure. But what I know and what you know is the, the times I could point to when I, have been, when I have been brutally treated, 
verbally, either by my, behind my back or, or directly at me, are, are like a symbol, a tiny, you know, the little symbols that women used to use when, when back in the days when people actually sewed with their hands, you know, my, my mother's symbols, you know, in her sewing kit, you know, remember the little symbol in your sewing kit, ladies? Um, that my, the hatred aimed at Joe Reedy, and which I absorbed at different times in my life, was, is tinier than a symbol compared to the ocean of hatred that many of my brothers and sisters in Christ have experienced. But you see, when you go through the verses I'm going to show you here, the Bible makes no distinction between the magnitude of these sufferings. It shows us that in the eyes of God, you can both feel empathy and prayer for your brothers and sisters that you pray for, and at the same time, you can draw from that God's infinitely wise, loving care for you in your challenges so that every day of your life you can say, today I want to grow in my loyalty for Jesus. Think about some of these verses that, and some of these ways that Jesus made this known for us. Think about right there in, uh, as we see even in the Psalms, great examples of how God prepared the faithful. Think of it, friends. God prepared the faithful to understand that opposition and adversity is a part of, of the experience of living in a fallen world. And because that's a fact, Almighty God in his covenant love for you uses the things that are bad about this world. And how many of you know? There's some things that are wretched about this world today, wretched about our culture today, grievous about our surroundings today, right? As well as the natural beauty, the things that God has created. But we all know that wherever human beings get in control of governments and organizations and systems, how many of you know there's going to be corruption? Can I hear an amen? There's going to be, there's going to be unfairness. There's going to be injustice. And so in an unjust world, in a place where you will encounter all kinds of things that are contrary to the original design of God. What can the faithful do? Well, let's, let's draw from Scripture. Read aloud from Psalm 25. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Read it aloud with me. Bring me out of my distresses. Look upon my enemies, for they are many. And they hate me with violent hatred. This, friends, is part of the Bible. This is part of the good news. We're a good news church. I tell you on many Sundays how strongly and powerfully I believe we should be positive people opening doors of understanding for the gospel to those around us. And this is part of the richness of the gospel. Part of the richness of the gospel is that Jesus does not leave us as scared little kitty cats running out into the world, oblivious to the danger. Now, Jesus, what did we read in John 16? Jesus, the night before he himself was about to be brutally treated, Jesus wanted the disciples to know when the Holy Spirit comes, this comforter will equip you to face that which, humanly speaking, you would fear. 
but the Holy Spirit will empower you so that you can say what 2 Timothy 1.7 says, God has not given me a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. The psalmist said, they will hate me, they hate me with violent hatred. That's a part of the life of the faithful. David wrote Psalm 25. And Psalm 25 begins by saying, Unto you, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. This is the position and the orientation of a child of God who knows that God's grace empowers us to be overcomers. Now think for a minute to kind of pull this together in a package that we could we can go home with and think about. There are various levels of persecution, and and I've just drawn five levels of persecution from Scripture that I think we could all uh, draw um, some understanding from. And we could, each of these, we could find 10, 15, 20 Bible verses on each one of these if we wanted to do so. But first of all, the neglect and or abandonment. One of the hardest things to deal with in life is feeling neglected. This is other this is aside from being physically hurt or somebody throwing rocks at you or somebody cursing you or somebody uh, attacking you or stealing from you or vandalism no this is just on the emotional and psychological level and part of what Benjamin Weir talks about in his wonderful book uh, um, about his his captivity in Lebanon is um, is that experience of abandonment well isn't it true as well that even in life sometimes you can feel that you've been abandoned by someone, right? Well, there's another level of persecution, and that is harsh verbal or physical assault. None of these things are good. None of these things are, are all of these things are experiences that are a part of the human condition today. And what we find in Scripture is that at every point where a person experiences is on the other end of that, that God promises very specifically grace for their trouble. Let me just give you one example. Turn in your Bible, tur- turn in your Bible to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. Would you just turn to that uh, and find that in your own Bible? We'll, we'll take a moment to do this because if we see it in our own Bible, then we'll be a lot more likely to recognize how God can take something terrible, terrible, awful, <laughs> something that is so contrary to his will, and yet God, for the child of God, God the Father will enable us to draw something out of that terrible, that terrible experience that causes us to see his glory and goodness in a way that's like what we sang this morning about how good he is. Look with me at 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 5 where the Bible says you are being guarded by God's power through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. These are words that brought great comfort and strength to believers facing fierce opposition because Jesus brings good out of it. 
Look at that third item of the types of persecution, false accusation and slander. Is there anything worse than somebody lying about you and, and telling somebody something else that's not true? How many of you has, have experienced at least a little of the sting of that in your life? And you know how that feels, don't you? Well, Jesus put a blessed there, not on the experience, but on what you can get from God. In Matthew 5.11, Jesus said, Blessed are those who are persecuted, and blessed are you when men revile you and say all kinds of evil against you for righteousness' sake. Jesus was saying that even in the face of a terrible experience, something we would all despise, Jesus said, in the midst of that, I can give you the comfort and strength and power, not only to go through it, but to become stronger in God as a result. Well, then, of course, there's, there's captivity and there's torture. What horrific things that to even mention today, and yet we mention them because as we pray for persecuted believers, we need to remember there are people in parts of the world today experiencing these things. They're experiencing what Psalm 137 described when the psalmist said, our captors ask for us to sing a song, even being taunted in captivity as Benjamin Ware was. And remember that in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 4, the Apostle Paul wrote to those believers these words. We kept telling you that we would be persecuted, and it turned out that way, as you well know. That's the first letter of the Apostle Paul to the church at Thessalonica. He said, we told you, we told you, we're going to be persecuted. This was not a minor theme in the early church. This was an understanding it's going to happen. And we might sum all that up by saying just what Paul said to Timothy when he was equipping Timothy to be a leader in those very difficult times. Disciples are people who continue. Say continue with me again. Continue. And Paul summed it up this way. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Jesus Christ will be persecuted. Everyone who's growing, as we've been saying today, everyone who's growing in loyalty to Jesus on one level or another, we will face persecution. And what's the takeaway from that Gospel of John passage we read as we began? What's the most important takeaway? Don't let it catch you by surprise. Don't be surprised if you're disliked. Don't, don't be surprised if you're hated. Now you might say, well, I don't like it. I don't either. <laughs> All the times that I've been hated and attacked in various ways. Never, 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 never have I been attacked in a way even nearly approaching what some of my brothers and sisters in Christ are. And yet my own, my own experiences were painful enough. Can I hear it, amen? And yet, and yet there's, so, there's, there's so much there. Well, um, as I want to do, I completely ran out of time. So what I want to do, though, is I want to, um, to take you to the end here. And I want to give you today, uh, uh, I want to give you today just a quick takeaway for us uh, that would help us to know. Quick takeaway, just as we go today, because in honor of the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Believers, I'd like to hit seven flashpoints very quickly as we go today. This will be a takeaway for you. Now, there's wonderful resources that, that 
you can ask me. I'll be glad to give you, to tell you specifics about all these. But the, the seven greatest areas where consistently followers of Jesus are under fierce and vicious persecution today are these seven countries. And what I'm going to ask you to do is to stand together with me as we close today. And we're going to have what will feel like uh, just a very, 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 very inadequate time of prayer for such a horrific challenge. And yet, I hope it could be for you a seed, and I hope it could be a springboard maybe for each of you that you could say, okay, okay, I'm going to add into my life. So you bow your head and close your eyes with me and just think about this challenge I want to give you. May you add to your life, may you add to your daily prayer at least a couple of places of the world where you know, we may not know the particulars, but you know that brothers and sisters in Christ are suffering greatly. And yet, in the midst of that, we see the beautiful fact that Jesus told the disciples that there is an honor bestowed upon them that the Bible calls them more than conquerors. That is, the Bible puts special honor on those even who ultimately lose their lives and end up in eternity much, much sooner than we would have wanted them to. And those who suffer in lesser ways, those who suffer deprivation, those in our Chinese brothers and sisters, for example, today, where parts of China that the authorities are actually burning um, church buildings that had existed during the time um, of the, um, when, when freedoms were increasing in that part of the world. There are so many areas of persecution. And so today, Lord, as we bow our heads in prayer, we pray across the globe. We span across the globe in our prayer, knowing that there are brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ in North Korea, in Afghanistan, in Somalia, in Libya, in Pakistan, in Saudi Arabia, in Nigeria, that are facing immense persecution. Lord, we, we bring to this time today our cry for the oppressed. We ask you, O oh God, that the delivering righteous power of Almighty God will be seen in ways that are phenomenal and glorious for the cause of Christ. We pray for a comfort and strength for those who find themselves in harsh and under severe persecution and oppression. We pray that across the globe today that there would be more and more believers engaging in prayer for the oppressed. Lord, we pray for your intervention over systems and governments and prime ministers and, and kings and rulers whose lives themselves are in desperate need of the awakening to the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, we know we've seen it before. We've seen radical awakenings and turnarounds. And we pray that in our time, even as we grieve for our country and its horrific problems today, we ask you to engage the saints in our call to intercede. And by doing so, sharpen in every heart today the passionate, pure desire that Jesus told the disciples about in John 16, that the spirit of truth will guide you into all truth so that your loyalty to the Lord Jesus will be anchored in nothing less than the eternal promises of God. And we thank you and praise you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.